So let's pray. Father, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. And we pray all the time, we can't do it without you. And the truth is, we can, but it won't matter. And we don't want to do that. That's a waste of time. We don't want to go through the motions. So right now, Holy Spirit, charge this room with the possibilities and the faith of the kingdom that comes alive when people hear your word. And Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3.11, you put eternity in our hearts. And when our hearts hear something that has eternal value, our hearts leap within us. And so God, let the anointing come in this room that makes preaching effective, authoritative, and gives clarity. May the seventh grade boy and the 68-year-old man all receive something today in the name of Jesus. If you love hearing a good word from the Lord right now, would you just say amen, amen? You know what amen means? So be it. I'm down with that. Don't sit and spectate when I pray. I'm praying for us. For this to matter, you can go to a million churches all over Atlanta, good ones, but we want it to matter. We want an altar to be built in this place. We want God to do something that's beyond your pastor's skill set or ability. Amen? Are y'all out there? You, you, you want to be in a church service that one service can change your life forever. And don't, don't water it down and go, oh, that's hopeful thinking. No, that's the way the Bible wants it to be. This place should be like just electric with, with the po possibilities. This should be a dangerous place. You want this to be a dangerous place for your lost grandchildren to ever be here just one Sunday. God will wreck them. Are y'all out there in the name of Jesus? Hallelujah. And so today I want to talk to you about a hard, dark night that changed everything or that can change everything. Genesis 8, our text for this series. Verse 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. God set those cycles in order. In first songs, uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, it says, For behold, the winter is past. The time of singing had, has come. And everybody said, Hallelujah! The time of singing has come. It's not 100 degrees. Summer's not fully here yet. Just thank God for these San Diego temperatures around here in North Atlanta. Anybody know... How many of you love having to wear a sweater in the morning to go put the trash out? Isn't it wonderful? Winter is over, and the humidity ain't here yet. Praise God, somebody. So, seasons. Don't miss, don't underestimate the season you're in. And don't be ignorant. Be discerning. What's going on around you? What's God saying to you? What's God doing in your life? What's he wanting to do? Be aware of the season in which you find yourself. Appointed times, opportunities. Oftentimes, opportunities come disguised as a crisis in your life. Pay attention. Think about what you're thinking about. Spiritual spring, as we've talked about the last three weeks now, it's a season of newness, freshness, new vision, excitement, new growth, revival. Spiritual summer, which is the greatest, most enjoyable. It's a time of abundance, maturity, freedom, breakthrough, harvest, fruitfulness, joy, and dreams are fulfilled or realized. 
Then spiritual fall comes. It's a time of transition, a little uncertainty, caution, lack of growth. Spiritual fatigue from a busy harvest, a bumper crop can set in. Anxiety comes and uncertainty about the winter. Am I going to make it? Do we have enough to get through the winter? And then last, the worst and most difficult of all seasons, spiritually speaking, is spiritual winter. It's a season of dormancy. Things look dead, but they're not, but they look dead. Difficulty, pruning, vision dies or it is challenged. Discouragement comes. Newly discovered obstacles reveal themselves. Restriction, spiritual severity, and then there's a tension or a resistance that you have to deal with. This morning, we're going to back up from four, four or five chapters from where we were last week. We're going to take a look at Jacob's life. I mentioned what happened in chapter 28, but I, just, I, want, you to, I want to try and tell the story and set it up so we can squeeze. There's a lot to get out of this little passage, this story. So it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And last week we talked about Jacob. He was a deceiver. He was cringy. He was, you did not want your daughter marrying. You didn't want to go into business with him. He was a trickster. Um, He was a creep. And it's Abraham's grandson. He gets his name, Hill Grabber. Because as he and his twin brother Esau were coming out of the womb, he had literally grabbed a hold of Esau's ankle or heel and was trying to like, no, you don't get to go first, I get to go first. Because he knew, even though they were twins born within seconds or minutes together, one of them would get all the privileges of being the firstborn, the oldest son. And, And they named him Jacob. And if you're here this morning and your name is Jacob, God loves you. And uh, he's referred to as the God of Jacob. And it's a great name. And it speaks of one who believes in a God who can take any of us and do something significant in us, no matter what your name is, unless it's like Ichabod or something or Beelzebub. There aren't any Beelzebubs in here. I know there's some Bubba's here in the South, but there aren't any Beelzebubs. And so Jacob now has stolen the birthright. And his parents are like, now that you've got the right and God speaks, the destiny is on your life. What God promised to Abraham to bless the whole world through you, it's now fallen to you. And now the next thing we need you to do, now that you've got your mission, you need to go get your mate. And you, you can't be like Esau. He married Ishmael's children. And, and God was clear, don't let your kids date or marry their kids. And so they say, we need you to go back and marry someone like us. And so he went to a distant land. And he sets out, it's a several hundred mile journey. And so as he leaves and goes, he gets 60 miles away from Beersheba. And he goes tonight to, to bed at night. And here's where we pick up the story. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he, had, when he reached a certain place, everybody say that term, a certain place. He stopped for the night because the sun had set. Now, taking one of the stones there, say that with me. Taking one of the stones there. So he's in a certain place and he takes one of the stones there. 
He put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Everybody look. This is in this transitional phase for him. He's a mama's boy. He, he shouldn't be the one roughing it. That was Esau. He's soft. He's a trickster. And he's the one who is having to set out on this journey. And God gives him a dream. And it's beautiful. Don't underestimate. What's he seeing? A ladder or staircase to heaven. And what's in heaven is coming down in the earth. And things in the earth are going up and getting touched by heaven. And it's a gate vision. It's a portal of heaven opening up for him in this dream. And it has to do with his destiny. And God wants you to have that same dream, a certain place. Take a stone, and we'll talk about it, break those two things down. And there above it, at the top of the ladder, was the Lord. I am the Lord, verse 13, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. And he's, he's going back, the generational blessing spoken over your grandfather. He's calling that out of him. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. And these are almost the exact same words he gives to Abraham in Genesis 12 and other places. First time, though, was in Genesis 12. Verse 14, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west, to the east, north, south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. What a, what a promise. What a t this, God wasn't saying, you know you stole that birthright. The, the blessing of his father rested upon him. God's not challenging that. He's affirming, going, all right, this is what we got to work with out of Abraham's grandsons. You're, you're the one. Verse 18, early the next morning, Jacob took the stone and he had, that he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. I want you to see this. He's taking that hard thing that he had to sleep on in the dark of the night. And there's many of us who have hard things that make it hard to sleep at night. And you wonder, Jacob, are you consecrating that pillar or that rock, or are you consecrating yourself? And we see it's that experience that he goes, this place, I, we got to change. I don't know what the name of this place is, but it's got to be named Bethel because this is the house of God. No, it's not. This is a place 60 miles from home, 440 miles away from where you're going. This is it's just, just a place. No, it's a certain place where God takes the hard things Keep a man with promise up at night in the dark. And he speaks over him and Jacob goes, that ain't no regular rock. God visited me here. Verse 19, he called that place Bethel. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if, the translation is poor, it should say since. And you'll see I have it on the screen. The Hebrew really it's not him going, okay, if God, let's see what you're going to do. It's him going, since, since God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, 
I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I will return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. And I just want to say, so now there's a 20-year window. We talked about it last week, but we're backing up before it because there's some critical stuff for time's sake I skipped over. 20 years of him reaping what he'd sown. You were deceptive, now your father-in-law is going to deceive you. You were a thief and you're going to have some stuff. You're going to know what it feels like to have somebody steal from you. Number of things, 20 years. And this promise here, 20 years later, Jacob and his family, later in the book of Genesis, now he has a family. And they come back to that place, that certain place where that rock was. And I want to talk to you about just, I have two points this morning. doesn't necessarily mean the sermon will be short. But the only two points. The first is, I want to talk to you about a certain place. I, I, I believe place is a very important thing for you to always consider. Where you live. Who you hang with. Who, where you are and the people you run with are indicative of where you're going. Who you listen to really can dictate the direction, the heights to which you can go in your own personal destiny. A certain place, a certain place. Verse 11 says, and he came to a certain place. I'm saying it over and over because sometimes we're slow to really realize this isn't just a Bible story. This is speaking to me. June 11th, 2023. He came to a certain place and he had a dream about a stairway, a ladder. From heaven to earth. And that was the gateway of God going, I'm going to get some of heaven into your life. I'm going to get you touched with heaven. Verse 16 says, when he awoke, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I I wasn't aware of it. And that's possible too. We'll come back to that. Verse 17, he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is, that wasn't him going, that that was him becoming fearful and reverent. He's like, God is here. And listen, Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Hear this. When you realize when you're in the same place God is and you respect that, that's the beginning of you doing wise things, making good decisions in your life. I can unpack that. That should be a whole chapter in the book right there. Y'all out there? That fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And and he realized, and he said, God was here last night, and I didn't realize it. This place is awesome. This is none other than the house of God. He said, the gate of heaven. And then verse 19, he changed the name and called it Bethel, as I said earlier. Hear me, brothers and sisters. Can you be in the house of God, and God be in the house of God, and you not be aware Yes. Can you be in God's presence and not know God is present where you are? Yes. And that's a very frightful thing. People who are in church for years sometimes 
know about the things of the Lord, but they don't know God. Sweet Mary Louise, there she is, 93 years old. Will you just wave at everybody? Just as sweet as she can be. Um, a few weeks ago, she reached out and she scheduled an appointment to come see me. 93 years old, sweetest thing on two feet. And she, she, she wanted to share her story with me and for us to just get acquainted. And I got to tell you, I went home and told Candace, I walked out and told the people in the office, I've got to write all this down. Just profound. Two things she said. The first was she finished her story and she said, Pastor Chuck, I came to tell you this because God's not finished with me and I got to find something to do. At 93 years old. God give us that spirit. And I said, you know what? There's plenty. There's a lot of young women that they need to have the hour that I just had with you. Because it's profound. Some of it wasn't PG, though. It's rated R. But I'll let her tell you that. Bragging on her husband, who was with us until just a couple years ago. Driving himself to church, two years older than her. In their mid-90s. That's rare. That's a blessing. And uh, the second thing she said to me was, Pastor Chuck, how old were you when you said I realized that I didn't know the Lord? 36 years old. She her, came from a, a well-to-do family. Her father had some, was connected to the invention of pine saw and ran a factory outside of Greenville, South Carolina, in the church her whole life. 36 years old, teaching Sunday school. One day she realized, the Holy Spirit opened her eyes and she realized, I'm not a Christian. And she shared that with me. And she said, Pastor Chuck, do you remember the first time Paul and I came? You were talking about you can be in church and not know the Lord. And she said, I got up and started walking to you because I wanted to share my story. She said, do you remember? I said, I do. I remember it well. And she goes, and you didn't let me share my story. And she said, and you haven't asked me since. And she, she went on to tell her story passionately. Why? Not just to be known, but to, for her to, this is part of what she wants to do. Listen, it's real easy to be in the presence of the Lord and not realize it. It's easy to run with lukewarm, hot Christian people and think you're one and not be one. This is why in the parable in Luke 15, the parable of the lost son, the lost sheep, and the lost coins, two lost coins, and the lady turned the house upside down trying to find them. Two coins. They were in the house, but they were lost. And if you're here today, there are people in this era of Western Christianity, I hear it almost every Sunday. I love this place, the vibe of this place. There's good energy in this place. People will say, Pastor, I like your passion. I like your spirit. And there's a lot of like buzzwords and you go, do you know what's happening here? That, what, that spirit, that vibe, that energy, that's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit here is here to open your eyes He's here magnifying Jesus, so you'll go, 
I'm not a believer, or I am a believer. I'm going to jump in and exalt him and magnify him too. It's critical. Nicodemus came and he said, Jesus, we can tell you came from God. You got it. And Jesus goes, I don't know how you can see. You're seeing the miracles, but you're not born again, so you can't really see yet. And he goes, born again? How do you get born again? Am I to enter back into my mother's womb? He's like, Jesus like, no. And then he was like, you're, you're teaching all of Israel the scriptures, and you don't know these things? And I just say to you, brothers and sisters, lovingly, I'll stand before God giving an answer for how clearly I presented the gospel. If you're here today and you've never been born again, you must be born again. And you can be born again. You can experience salvation. You can be like sweet St. Mary at 36 years old who thought she knew the Lord. But now for almost 60 years, she has known the Lord. And the fire has never gone out. Come on, thank God. How many of you are born again? Born again, and you thank God for it. Praise you, Lord. Came to a certain place. And this is a certain place that God wants to make it a significant place. Wherever you are in life, you can be like Jacob, all jacked up, running from an angry brother, fearful, uncertain about your future, and all you have is a father's blessing, and that's all you need. And wherever you are, 30, 60 miles from home, he didn't pick that place. That place picked him. He was tired. The sun was going down. And it didn't matter where he was. He laid down and God met him there. It was a certain place. The second thing I want to talk to you about this morning is the hard night. Verse 11 says, taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head. I want to skip through a bunch of things right here. And I just want to tell you, what is it in, for Jacob... He, I, I, I know that they, they got rocks and used them as a pillar, a pillow, and it was just to get their neck or head at the right angle so they could sleep. But they didn't do that at home. And Jacob laid down in the middle of nowhere, but it was a certain place. And it was a hard night, and it was a dark night. And God did something miraculous while his head was on that hard rock. This morning, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you, brothers and sisters, specific. God wants to talk to you about the hard stuff, the stuff that keeps you up at night, the stuff that makes it almost impossible to sleep. That reel, that stronghold reel that the enemy just, you cannot escape it. That's what was happening to Jacob. And God comes with a prophetic dream. And he says, that old rock you laid down, that pillow is getting ready to be turned into a pillar. And what's getting ready to happen in you, this isn't, wouldn't be the only person throughout Scripture who gets their name changed to pillar. It happened to Simon Peter. He became a rock. And Revelation 3 refers back to him. And there are people today, what am I saying? Here's what I'm getting at. 
God wants to speak a word over your life today to you about the hard stuff in the night that you can't seem to get through, that he is going to give you a prophetic dream or word to call you up out of that place and say, when you get up in the morning, right now, today, in this 11 o'clock service, anoint that rock out of promise. You sanctify that rock, consecrate that rock, and consecrate yourself to the Lord in this season. A hard place, a hard night. And the Bible teaches, are you ready for this? Y'all ain't ready for this. What is this? I'll tell you in a second. How many of you are ready for more? How many of you are ready to, to, are, are you ready? Buckle up. Isaiah says this, and though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, how many of you say, no, I'm not ready for that. I, I don't receive that. I ain't up for that. Yet your teachers will not, I love how the, the God's word is so stinking awesome. Yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore. But your eyes shall see, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And everybody look right here. What is it? The Bible says, the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. Have you ever seen that term throughout Scripture? I, I don't like it. I want it to say, the Lord gives me the goodness of God is running after, running after me, overwhelming me. But sometimes God knows what we need, and he refuses to give us what we want, to give us what we need. And here, Isaiah says to the people of Judah, he will give you the bread and the water, affliction and adversity, so that you'll quit taking the teacher and put him in the corner now. Get, get out of here. That's what we do. Who, whatever God is using or whoever God is using in our life to speak truth and bring correction or instruction, we want to put him over here and go, I got it. I'm smart enough. I don't need that. I don't receive that. And God says, through the affliction and the adversity that he gives, he will move you will want to move that teacher back in the center of the room and sit there and start taking notes. And your eyes will see, and your ear, this is so profound, your ears will hear, you won't have to go, should I go this way or should I go that way? Eeny, meeny, anybody got a word for me? God says, through the affliction and the adversity, you will now hear the voice of the Lord going, this is the, it's what, the way. How many of you like to have that kind of intimacy in your walk with the Lord? How many of you know it to be possible? Come on, even for suburbanites, we need to know. I, I, I humble myself. Get that teacher out of the corner back out here where I can see him or her. Listen to him or her. Now, affliction does three things that I've listed. It's a lot more than three, but affliction delivers us from indifference, from being ambivalent, sarah, disengaged. God shakes us out of our comfort zone and he opens our ears and eyes by adversity, which means our struggles make us listen more closely to him. Look at these verses, Psalm 119. They're cute. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. 
but now I keep your word. That sounds like me getting a spanking from my daddy. Psalm 119, 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. How many can just say a hearty amen to this stuff right here? Come on, how many of you can say a hearty amen to, I was foolish, but I learned, I got corrected, now I'm a lot wiser and smarter. I got a spanking for it, but thank God I ain't going to have to learn that lesson anymore. Listen, I'm talking to a church full of people. We need to move on to spiritual maturity. Quit putting our teacher or the instrument that God's using to tell us maybe what we don't want to hear. Get them out of the corner, back out in the center of the room, front and center in our life so we can listen. Are y'all out there? Because some of us need to be delivered from indifference. Secondly, affliction delivers us from sinful habits. The, the root of all of them is pride. Without affliction, pride and self-reliance sets in. And that is extremely dangerous. I want to pause. I, can't, I don't have time to elaborate. Spiritual pride is extremely dangerous. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride is so deceptive and sneaky and lethal. And there is no shortage of human pride this side of 285. I'm telling the truth, amen? This is where Luke chapter 15 what happened to the prodigal? Everybody look right here. He came to his senses when he realized the pigs are eating bread of affliction, uh, bread of adversity, water of affliction. That's the same thing I'm eating. And the Bible says he came to his senses. It's one of the greatest passages in the New Testament. Squandered his wealth, demanded his way, squandered his wealth, came to his senses when he realized all I got are water and some saltine crackers. Anybody remember when you first got married and that, that tomato soup and that cheese sandwich? That's all you had. But it, it motivated you. We're going to save. We're going to work hard. Am I right about it? And, 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 and you, you broke through. And look at you now. The prodigal says he came to his senses. And then he, he said to himself, I need to go home. And he started practicing his, I'm sorry, dad, speech. And when he got home, what happened? His father ran after him. Affliction delivers us from pride. I'm going to get real, real with you. Our flesh can only go a certain number of months without affliction, without adversity. I'm talking about the knee-buckling Get on your knees, cry out to God in person. And when all you got spiritually is some saltines and a cup of water, it tastes so good. And it makes you appreciate those seasons of summer reaping the harvest. Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? Anybody thankful for those seasons that he brought you through? Come on, thankful for those seasons that they humbled you. Nothing could have done it. Nothing could have done it. Let me tell you, it's a rare person who can be trusted with a full cup. And we live in a community where a lot of people have a full cup and they're full of themselves. God help us to humble ourselves before him. Thirdly, affliction delivers us from loving the world. 
and causes us to cling to God. We don't talk about the love of the world anymore in the church. But I just want to tell you, loving the world's robbed some great men of God of their destiny. Paul said in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, For Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me. 1 John 2, John said, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world. And then he lists the three areas that we struggle with. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Are y'all out there? God, deliver us. Send the affliction to correct me, to humble me, to get me engaged, back on my toes, back in the game. Are y'all out there? Now, notice it's some 20 years later that Jacob, he does go and get there, and he wrestles with God, as I talked about last week, and God changes his name to Israel, which means one who struggles with God. Please hang on and listen closely. The nation of Israel, the people of God, even right now we should be praying for the peace of Jerusalem and the people of God, Israel as a nation. Every person that knows prophecy knows, watch Israel and you'll see and know what's happening on God's time clock. Are y'all out there? Now I know there's anti-Semitism, there's racial prejudice, bigotry, and there's all these things that go, well, we can't let them be the people of, we can't treat them. Be careful. Be careful. It's the only people that they, they lost their land and God kept them a people. Most of us in this room are too young to know what happened in the late 40s. God miraculously in one day, miraculously against all military odds, made them a nation again in one day. But they've struggled. And we struggle. We, we, and I just hear this. This isn't popular preaching. I know you didn't get out of bed to come celebrate the fact that the Lord gives you affliction. But the Lord uses the struggle, that oyster in the South Sea of Australia, that one oyster lives up to 40 years and can get to be a foot round. And it's not sand, but it's something that threatens his life. If it gets inside, it secretes that. It's lighter and stronger than concrete. And it turns that irritation into a pearl. And sometimes God does some things in you to make something out of you that's invaluable. Are y'all out there? One who struggles with God. And we struggle for a number of reasons. Our flesh, we live in a fallen world, we have a real adversary. And this world is not our home. Can I get a witness? We are pilgrims, strangers, aliens passing through. This world will never satisfy. I don't care how long your vacation, your cruise is in the Mediterranean, you're still going to want to get to heaven. And it's not going to be a downgrade from the Mediterranean. Are y'all out there? 
I'm speaking to a bunch of people who have your travel agent on speed dial. I'm talking to some people who know how to vacation. But we are not made. Nothing in this world will satisfy except for Jesus. And he makes us long to be with him face and see him face to face. Are you looking forward to going to heaven one day? Come on, somebody. But in the meantime, there's a struggle. But here's the deal. I don't want you to take that thing that causes you to struggle because it will normally not be one thing. It'll be a series of things through the years. But if it is one thing, don't celebrate it. And don't build a theology around it to justify you struggling or suffering with it. We don't have a theology for suffering. We need one. God uses these things. It rains on the just and the unjust. I don't know why the unrighteous are blessed. I don't know why some of the most spiritual people I know struggle with issues for years sometimes. But we still cannot build a theology over why I get to have or should have this. It's a struggle. And we should... Con what's, your, what's your scriptural principle for that? Paul, the apostle. The Bible says he had a thorn in his... And he didn't tell us what it was. And I think there's a reason he didn't tell us what it was. If we had known exactly what it was, we would be like Eve in the garden. We would know good from, we would have all the details. Now we get to make a judgment like some people tried to with Job and go, well, Paul, you should have done this. I think there's a reason. It's a mystery. We don't know what it was. But here's what we do know. Paul said, if I didn't have this, you've got to love the Apostle Paul. He's such a stud. He's half cocky at times. And he goes, all these great revelations God gives me, if I didn't have this thorn in the flesh, I would be so full of myself. And you go, well, thank God for giving you that thorn in the flesh. And so he could say, it's in my weakness. You, weak? Look at you. It's in my weakness. He is strong. It's Paul talking about struck down but not destroyed. Everybody look here. Some of us get struck, not even down. And we, we, we get so in the flesh and mad, we can't even live. Paul said, knocked down, but we're not knocked out. I'm talking to somebody this morning. There's a struggle there. And Paul said, I pray, God, take this one away. He didn't build a theology and go, hey, everybody needs a thorn in the flesh, and I know where you can get one. He didn't. He was like, I prayed, God, please take this away from me. But you revealed to me how you're using it. And then he concluded this. It makes me humble, and I've learned this. His grace is sufficient. Are y'all out there? Some of you are going through stuff right now. It makes it hard to sleep at night. That, that cycle just on and on and on. And God's wanting to give you a dream where I'm just going to Take us to the store and preach the Bible. It's all I know how to do. I think this sermon, this experience, God wants you to see a ladder. Him getting to you and you getting to Him. Right now where you are. This man caught me in the lobby from the first service and said, thank you. This is an older man with grown children. Been married for years and he, with tears in his eyes. He said, we're going through a divorce. You? 
another guy texts me after the first service. He said, today would have been our like 29th wedding anniversary. Today. God knew exactly what I needed to hear today. And there are people carrying stuff. I feel it in this room. You can cut it with a knife. You can just see it. And it's struggle. And God's using it to woo you back, draw you to him, to humble you, get you engaged, cause you to lock in on faith. And I just got to tell you, if you can take it, you can make it. No pain, no gain. What doesn't kill you make you stronger. To borrow Kelly's line, what doesn't kill you make you fighter. On your feet, when you fight, you'll be much lighter. You know what she's saying? That's because some of y'all. in the white towel. May God raise up in this COVID craziness, chaotic season, where the devil is trying to get you distracted. He's wanting you to be the next one in divorce court. You need to rise up and say, uh-uh, not today. If we can take it, we can make it. We're going to break through this stronghold. We're going to break through this sickness in the name of Jesus. God still does miracles. I don't know why he does them when he does. I don't know why he makes some people wait longer. It might have to do with something about breaking out of a winter season. It might have to do with something about the old Larnell Harris song. Remember it? God, from God's perspective, he said, I miss my time with you. I think God sometimes might just go, I need to put a need in Pastor Chuck's life. Because he's not praying like he used to. There he comes. I'm going to meet that need. But I'm not going to meet all of them. I like him just coming back. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying this morning? Look what the Bible says in closing. Job said, he delivers the afflicted in their affliction and opens their ears to his voice in adversity. Look what Psalm 39 says. 34 verse 19. Everybody read this on the screen. Listen. The psalmist says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Can somebody say amen? I know that's right. Dad, gum it. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Can somebody now say amen? Come on. You know what amen means. So be it. I'm down with that. I received that. Yes. More than the first part of that verse, I take the second part. Because the second part determines the first part. But, thank God for the big butts in the Bible. He delivers them out of them all. I'm talking to a church that doesn't believe what their pastor's preaching this morning. He delivers them out of them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But he delivers them. And I want to take you deeper. We're going to pray for people this morning. James says, is any among you afflicted? Let me ask you, anybody afflicted? Let him pray. The New Living Translation says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. 
And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. So confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. What happens when we start getting that real, that honest about our needs? Like we come to the altar and we don't just stay back and claim it privately. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. That's what happens. So this morning, I just, I just speak over you. And I have a lot of scripture again this morning. I just speak into you. Faith, let faith rise up. Let faith rise up. I know on every road there are tremendous critical needs in our, in our church family. Businesses, finance, some of you, your own business. Finances, marriages, raising children where BlackRock is making every stinking corporation forces indoctrination down on us. We're living in a dark time, brothers and sisters. We need each other. Anybody hear what I'm saying, what I'm talking about? This stuff, you're not going to get away from it. You just got to learn to make it in the struggle and build an, an ark that you can survive the flood of immorality that's happening in our culture. But I want to tell you, what did, Paul, uh, what did John say in Revelation? To him who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. How many of you want to not be a soft pillow? You want to become a pillar. How many of you? What does this mean? Hear me. I know I got too much preaching in me and not enough time. What does this mean? To him who overcomes, they become someone who is stable, resilient, reliable. They don't just show up and take up space at the church. They can hold up a whole dang corner. They can shoulder the load for other people. Are y'all out there? May the Lord give us 150, 250 pillars who used to be pillows. Some Simons who are now Petras, Peters, rocks. Are y'all out there in the name of Jesus? You know how he's going to do it? That hard thing you're sleeping on in the night. That sickness that he's getting ready to heal you from and deliver you from. The end of that book that you're writing about your prodigal is going to come home in the name of Jesus. That business that God's going to somehow miraculously cause it to turn around. He's going to bless it. In the famine and in the troubled world, he's going to sustain his people. I'm preaching this morning, but not a lot of amens. Let me pause so somebody can just say, I receive it. I'm down with that. Hey, and some of you in your 60s and 70s and 80s, may the spirit of Mary Louise Story, her last name, Story. How you like that one? Let that spirit get all up in this place and say, we're going to pour into our sons and daughters, our grandsons and granddaughters. Let the spirit of Titus chapter 2 fall upon this place. The older women pouring into the younger women. The older men teaching the younger men how to do it. Are you all out there this morning? How's he going to do it? He's going to do it by delivering you from that thing that he sent to cause you to struggle. Stand to your feet right now in the name of Jesus. Come on. Let faith arise here. I'm going to ask you quickly in the name of Jesus. No playing around. If you're here today and God is speaking to you. And there is an affliction. There's an irritant. There's something that you're struggling with. Maybe for a short while. I've been for a long time. But you're ready today. You're coming and you're going, God, I want to break through this in Jesus' name. I want, to, want you to step out and meet me here in the altar right now. Come quickly. From the balcony, we'll wait on you. Come quickly.